0: Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates, though the laborers are few, the harvest is great. God's not willing that any should
1: perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. The wealthy businesswoman named Lydia, the demon-possessed slave girl, and the suicidal Roman jailer, revealing the kind of people that God not only can save, but is willing to save if their heart is open to Him. Let me give you a better one. You've been saved.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You can't unring a bell or squeeze toothpaste back in the tube once the cat is out of the bag, that is. These are colorful phrases that describe those times when there's no going back. And that's how you might describe the Gospel as it continued to spread out from the city of Antioch where the Apostles began their missionary works. But today, Pastor Xavier will be taking us to yet another stop along the way, Philippi, via Acts chapter 16, highlighting the testimonies of three converts in particular. Let's listen.
1: Paul the Apostle was the type of individual that you know didn't remain very long in one place before God began to deal with his heart to send him out again. He was not a quitter. He was very responsible to his call because he understood his call. This is the key. Paul was committed to not only uh, evangelism but to discipleship evident by his work in Cilicia for about seven years before he went to Antioch there for the first year where they were called Christians and um, then he sent out to South Galatia on the first missionary journey. Now Paul had returned to Antioch from the first missionary journey, him and Barnabas, and they had shared with the church all that God had done the amazing things, how God had opened the door this was new territory, gospel had never gone out there. And so Paul then went up to Jerusalem as we've seen, along with Barnabas, as um, the test case Titus being for circumcision. These Judaizers wanted to put them under the law, circumcise them and everything else. And they said, not in your mind. And that was established. That was a danger. Do we make Christianity an extension of Judaism or do we make a distinction from it? It's distinct. It was established. Very, very important. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, gave the good news. They rejoiced. And uh, the two churches were in one accord. The church in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch, no different. Jew, Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. Now, after some days in chapter 15, 36, at the end there of that chapter, Paul was uh, prompted to ask Barnabas to both of them to go back to visit the brethren in every city where they had preached the gospel and to see how they were doing in the Lord. So once again, the, the responsibility of teaching the flock, not just simply, you know, well, yeah, a hundred got saved. Yeah, are they being fed? Are they being followed up? So verse 36 to 15 gives us that. Now, there was a strong contention between um, Paul and Barnabas, the rest of chapter 15 there. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take his nephew, John Mark, who had left him in the lurch. And Paul said, no way. So the uh, mission outreach doubled. Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus. Paul and Silas took off to visit the churches and to see how they were doing, 37 to 41. Strong contention. Um, God used it for his glory. Both were right. You want to take a chance on him? Paul knew he couldn't have quitters out there. It's just the way it is. And uh, there's no place to b- b- get your apprenticeship. And so later on, everything got squared away. But at this time, um, that's the way it went. Now, Luke records now the outreach of Paul and Silas. As they um, return to the area, they're beginning chapter 16 here. In reverse order, going from north through Syria up through Cilicia, Tarsus, through the Tarsus range, arriving at Derby and Lystra. Now, from verse 6 to 10, or 9 really, as they began their journey through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, God began to guide them by various ways. Listen, the book of Acts is God's pattern for leadership, for the church, for individual lives. That's the only book that we have, and he shows us how he does it. And somehow the church is ignoring it today, thinking that God is out of date and they're trying to help God out. There's no distinction between then and now. Now, there's no indication in these verses 6 down to 9 that uh, God said go out or was guiding them. But then as we move on, we see that He is. He's guiding, redirecting. He's saying no. He's saying yes. And this is what happens many times in our lives. God is directing me and I'm not even aware of it until after the fact. And we've all experienced that. Now they were forbidden, verse 6, by the Holy Spirit to preach in Asia as they went south. Perhaps Paul was setting his eyes on on Ephesus, going down there. But it wasn't time till the third missionary journey. And then in verse 7, they proceeded north. Once again, they go north and the Spirit says no as they went to Bithynia. So the only place to go is west. Kind of southwest. They were being directed by God southwest to Troas. Verse 8 and 9. The ancient city of Troy, a chief seaport of the northwest of the Aegean Sea, for travel between Asia and Europe, where the Lord gave Paul a vision of man of Macedonia. Come over to Macedonia and help us. This is the way God works. He works like that today. He works like that in your life. Sometimes we're very aware, sometimes we're not after the fact. But he always confirms it through his word. Very important. So let, let me read this section here, verse 10 on down to 34, and then we'll break it up. He says, now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to uh, Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, where is a foremost city that is uh, that part of Macedonia, colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customary made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart um, to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she... And her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain uh, slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that her hope of, of profit Was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us as Romans to receive and observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had uh, laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such charges, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. And the keeper of the prison awakened from his sleep, seeing the prison doors open. supposed the prisoners had fled, drew his sword, and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light, ran in, and fell on trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke. The word of the Lord to him and all of those who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of that night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them to his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his house. The first converts of Philippi here give us a clear description of the kind of people that God is willing and can save. Here they are. First, the wealthy businesswoman named Lydia, 10 through 15. Secondly, the demon-possessed slave girl, 16 to 22. And the suicidal Roman jailer, 23 to 34. How'd you like them having them in your church? That's what the church is made of. Regular people. <laughs> the wealthy businesswoman named Lydia, verse 10 through 15. All of them have the same pattern. They begin with the encounter. The encounter here in verse 10 through 13. Notice in verse 10, the missionaries were obedient to being directed by the Holy Spirit. Very important right here. Simple principle. They immediately sought the means of transportation to go to Macedonia. The three part symbols in the vision are all what they call periphrastic imperfects. That means this. They affect continuation. This is what it says. He kept standing, beseeching, and saying, help us. The man in the vision. God said, nope, not to the south. Nope, not to the north. Here's a vision. God is very practical. One step at a time. Notice the plural pronoun, we. It appears for the first time in the narrative. The physician Luke, he joins Paul and Silas now here. You also have the next time, this will go to verse 17, It will quit. Then it'll pick up in chapter 20, verse 5, we all over again. So most likely Luke stayed at Philippi when they left. That's the implication. Now notice, they were of one accord and fully persuaded God had called them to preach the gospel to them through the vision. The phrase assuredly gathered means to join together, to unite or to put together. In other words, they understood the prohibitions of uh, of earlier than the vision to be no, no, no. And all of a sudden the vision is a yes. They connected the dots. They both were persuaded the way God was doing the work and how he was guiding. It happened. You and I have experienced that. As God, we don't know, okay, Lord, what are doing this. And all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. Everything comes together. I know it's the Lord. Very, very evident. This is how God guides his church still today. This is how he guides you. But you've got to know the word of God, right? Very important. Now, keep in mind that Silas was also a prophet. Acts fifteen thirty-two tells us that, okay? So God could have spoke through him. Now, at verse 11, the missionaries notice travel. And they give us the travel route in detail here. Uh, they sail from Troas, uh, a straight course to um an island between uh, Troas and Philippi, it became a stopover for ships that were in trade in the North Aegean Sea so as not to jeopardize sailing at night, which was very dangerous. Now notice that the trip, in verse 11, took them only two days, arriving at Neapolis. Neapolis means new city. It was um, on the Via Ignatius, uh, which ran east to Byzantine, and west to Philippi and then over to Thessalonica or Thessalonica, whichever you want to pronounce it as we move into chapter 17. Now look at verse 12. The missionaries came to Philippi and the men traveled about 10 miles on foot at this point. Uh, it says a Roman colony, therefore they were citizens of Rome. This is important and we'll see this as, as the event unfolds. Um, to be used as a fortified outpost, many of these places, colonies, and to provide for the poor at Rome, and to settle veteran soldiers. Many of them settled these. And they had an autonomous government exempt from taxes and that had all the privileges of being citizens of Italy. It was very attractive. Now, look at verse 13. The missionaries went to a prayer meeting. The day was the Jewish Sabbath. Therefore, they are certainly Jewish because no one else uh, is going to meet on, on Saturday. We've seen this. And then the day of Jewish gathering again confirmed. And there had to be at least 10 men to have a synagogue. So there wasn't even 10 men to have a synagogue. So this is one of the places there was really no synagogue. The place where they met was the river notice. This is where prayer was made. And uh, during the Babylonian captivity, if you remember, in Psalm 137.1, there was no Jewish temple there in captivity. So they would go by the river and worship God. And maybe that's where the custom came. I don't know. But here we see the correlation. Uh, The practice of prayer was regular, indicating by the word customary. They're seeking God. And they sat and they spoke to the women, it says in verse 13, meeting at the river to seek the Lord. So here they come. They arrive. They come. They're following the direction of God. When you get to verse 14, then we're introduced to the woman Lydia and her activities. She ran a business. As a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, it says Thyatira was a famous, for us, the Church of Thyatira in Revelation, but the city of Thyatira was famous, rather Rome, because it procured um, shellfish in, in this incredible color to make official robes like togas for 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 Rome, and uh, they were very expensive, very luxurious, and this is what this was her business now. The woman heard the preaching notice of the gospel through Paul and Silas. And the word heard there is a the word a cool. The imperfect tense means she heard them on more than one occasion. If we read in the English, we would think she heard it, got saved, and that was it. But it means she continued. It wasn't just a one-time deal. Notice also that she worshipped God in verse 14. The word worship means to devote, to be devoted, to revere God. She was a proselyte. Uh, Women proselyted more than men because of the requirement of circumcision. It kind of held them back from that. Notice she responded to the Lord's conviction as the Lord opened her heart. Don't miss that. Open her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The word open means to open up wide and complete. This was the Lord's doing. It is used as a deaf man. Whose ears were opened by Jesus, Mark seven thirty four, and it's also use of Jesus opening the scriptures to those men on the road to Emmaus in Luke twenty four thirty two, same word. But then her part, she had to heed, to give attention and choose to believe the gospel by the exercise of her own will to be saved. So God will open the heart of an individual to understand, but He will not make the decision for the individual. Very important. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 17, right? That's why the gospel is necessary. Now, when you get to verse 15, you have the evidence of conviction here. Her household and her were saved, and they were baptized through her faith in Christ. Now, we don't get a lot of details. I was like, well, what happened? All of a sudden, she's saving her household. Now, it doesn't mean that her household was saved by her faith, but each individual had to believe on their own because we compare Scripture with Scripture. Many people try to use this, and as we see the jailer, to claim the salvation of their household because they're saved. No. Now, we certainly pray for our loved ones. We believe that God can save them, but they each have to decide individually. God has no grandchildren, only sons and daughters. And then notice her hospitality. She offers and if you consider me faithful to the Lord, so she puts that connection. She's a seller, she's a businesswoman. <laughs> it is used for God who comforts us. Her attitude was one of gratitude. She begged, parakaleo, same word for the Holy Spirit, meaning to come alongside. Notice her posture it was that she would not take no for an answer. She persuades, which means to compel with great force. It's been put this way. The poorest man I know is a man who has nothing but money. John D. Rockefeller Jr. I think he would know. (laughs) Somehow we think if we can only have this, if we can only get that, we'd be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. The Bible does not say that rich people cannot be saved. It only reveals their own difficulty to trust God. Jesus said in the kingdom parables in Matthew thirteen twenty-two, He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitful riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Nothing wrong with things. As your pastor, you know I don't believe that. But the things do move us away from God if we're not careful. All of a sudden, the faithfulness, the loyalty, the passion gets from Christ to things. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. I like that uncertain riches. Hard come, easy go. <laughs> they have wings, the proverb says. Who give us who gives us richly all things to enjoy? First Timothy six seventeen. Nothing wrong with those things, but where do we place our importance, our, our dependency? Very, very important. In fact, James 2.5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So God doesn't exclude anybody who's wealthy. If you're wealthy this morning, he does not exclude you. You have to make a choice whether it's your money or the kingdom of God. That's the bottom line. God says wealthy women like Lydia. Through the gospel. Secondly, notice we have the demon-possessed slave girl. 16 through 22. The young girl met them as they were going to prayer. Interesting, you going to prayer. Here comes the demon-possessed girl. The young girl was possessed by a demon of divination, the spirit of Python, the serpent. Notice the girl brought her masters much profit, we're told, by fortune-telling. The word fortune-telling means to deliver an oracle by familiar spirits, not the spirit of God. She was being exploited by these men. Demons only know the past and the present, but they don't know the future. Now, notice the young girl's activities are given to us in verse 17. She follows Paul and the men around. She attempts to identify herself with the work of God by identifying them as the servants of the Most High God. And by identifying the message as the way of salvation. Why? Demons know who believers are. Mark one twenty four, Luke 4.41, and many other passages. Hi, Jesus, Son of God. What are you doing here? Everybody's saying, is that Jesus? No, he's the Son of God. Hi, no, He's the Son of a Centurion. Who is it? And the demons say, hi, Jesus, Son of God. Demons know if you're a Christian. Now, notice the power encounter in verse 18. Paul waited for God's perfect timing as she continued doing this for many days. And so Paul reached the end of his patience to an extent. And the contrast is marked by the phrase, but Paul. Paul was not allow the enemy to have anything to do with the kingdom of God. But again, he's being directed by God. He's waiting. The consternation of Paul is marked by the phrase, greatly annoyed. Paul acted on God's prompting, not his own. It's very important. Notice Paul confronted the spirit, not the girl. Very important. He turned towards the girl, but he spoke to the spirit possess, possessing the girl. He commanded the demon in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. The demon came out that very hour. In 19, the master of the demon-possessed girls responded violently. The masters who were exploiting the slave girl are outraged. They, they saw their means of gain destroyed. The master dragged them into the marketplace where the authorities were. And in 20 and 21, the masters accused Paul and Sazel of to the magistrates. They identified the men as being racially different. Jews bringing religious convictions that were Jewish. Notice they were um, charged first with exceedingly troubling the city, bringing disorder to the city, serving the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. This was very severe. Verse 21, they were accused also secondly uh, with teaching contrary customs, not lawful for them to receive or observe being Romans. Romans, Romans, there's this pride, this pride, we're Romans, we don't even have a Jewish synagogue here. Bringing sedition, teaching customs which were not lawful, being Romans. The world is always open to any form of philosophy and perversion, but intolerant towards the gospel. Interesting. Her masters, the multitudes, and the magistrates unanimously agreed to punish them. The crowds turned against Paul and Silas. The magistrates tore their clothes off and commanded them to beat them with rods. Luke and Timothy were not taken. We don't know why. Luke certainly was a Gentile. Maybe he just wasn't around. And he was with Timothy. We don't know. And um, Paul mentions that he was beaten three times with rods in 2 Corinthians 11:25 and 1 Thessalonians 2:2. You know, he speaks about you know being shipwrecked in deep sea and all. I mean, just the stuff that this guy went through. It's incredible. These weren't little rods. I mean, these are big rods, and they beat you. You knew you, you got beat. When Satan cannot join the work, his second tactic is always persecution. Always.
0: Well, it's an unfortunate spot to have to break in at this point, but we're regrettably out of time for today. Pastor Xavier will have to pick up the story next time as Paul and Silas head off to prison where a certain Roman jailer unwittingly awaits hearing the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned, there's much more to this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can always pick up a copy of this message and the title to ask for is The Gospel Reaches Europe. It's available on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Gospel Reaches Europe, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What can wash me white as snow? Pastor Xavier Reese with the Simple Truths of the Cleansing Blood of Jesus next time.